welcome back to The Handmaid's Takes, a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. I'm your host, Will. I'm joined by Liz. Say hello, Liz. Hey, Will. How are you? I'm fine. I'll do the talking from here on out. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'll let you say one more thing, at least. Uh, Liz, do you want to explain to our loyal listeners why your audio sounds relatively like shit today? (laughs) Yeah, so my microphone is like not connecting to my computer. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I'm talking into my very expensive... Uh, boys noise canceling headphones uh that they're for the boys yeah they're for the boys headphones for the boys and so yeah that sucks uh god is it so bad it changed first of all it changed so much when you picked it up yeah it sounds so different than it did before you picked it up does it sound worse or does it sound better it sounds better unless it crackles. Okay, so when I... When you see me wincing, I hear a crackle. I'm going to turn down, at least on Audacity, my recording volume, and I think that'll help. Okay. And then <laughs> I'll right. just hold this, because I can see it spiking, too. I have you in, like, a little window. Anyway, I'm so sorry, guys. You know that we take quality of sound very, very importantly. I take it a little bit seriously. Um, You know, that's why we have my microphones. But yeah, don't worry. I'm going to buy a new mic. And it's gonna. It's not like I've just spent a thousand dollars on plane tickets this month. Mm-hmm. And we'll be fine, and we'll get through this episode. And you know, people deal with it all the time. People deal with. I will podcasts. say you you make a you make a good point there because I will say, I listen to a large number of podcasts, and I I do think that it's remarkable sometimes how bad some of them are. Yes. For for how professional they're supposed to be. Their podcasts with like advertisers and networks and stuff like that. And sometimes they're really sh- shitty for one reason or another. <laughs> well, and also like, let me give you an example. I was in a meeting the other day uh, and the head of the communications group of this meeting that I was in was presenting and her microphone sounded like she was calling in through her cell phone and yeah. had a bad signal. And I was like, one, you're the head of communications. And two, mm-hmm. this is the second time this has happened on one of these meetings. <laughs> I will not be talking about work in this forum. I didn't say I... that this was at work. I just said oh. that I was in a meeting where the head of communications... <laughs> Well, technically, I didn't say that you were talking about work either. (laughs) I just said, I will not be talking about work myself. I would have nothing to say. I have never had any coworkers who have any (laughs) had any frustrating technological issues. But um, yeah, just listening to podcasts and sometimes like two audio tracks are not in sync. And other times, yeah, just like one person has lower quality audio than the other, which, as I said before... Uh, when we started this, right after episode one of the podcast, I bought the same type of microphone that you had mm-hmm. so that hopefully we would have totally comparable, you know, equitable uh, uh, qualities of audio. Um, and also, uh, I, I, <laughs> I won't go into d- to details, but kind of recently, I listened to a podcast episode where 
for the first time, and I must have listened to thousands of podcast episodes over the past 15 or more years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've never heard so much audio that was supposed to be cut out of an episode. <laughs> and I listened to it and and I was able to hear it because I downloaded the episode first thing when it was up. I listened to it that night. Uh-huh. And I am one of those people who listened to the unedited version, which was subsequently removed from people's feeds and replaced <laughs> with the edited version. Um, and uh, let's just say there there was a, there were multiple reasons why why it couldn't <laughs> remain out there in the world. Wow! <laughs> why wow. why it had to be replaced? Amazing! Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, I know other people. Oh, go ahead. Po- point point being, other people who do this professionally, yes, fuck up much worse than we are fucking up doing it for fun and and as amateurs. Yes, and I don't think it'll be unlistenable. Correct. Yeah. I mean, only as unlistenable as any. <laughs> as any of our podcasts. Any of our podcasts, more for content than for quality. <sighs> now, um, I know that we started weird, but can I please now complain about the thing I was complaining about? Yeah, we had a false start. And now, yes, go on and say what you were going to say. So this is, of course, not old business because we're not doing old business because this is not. It's not an episode of the Smug Buzz. Yes. Um, but. And it's not even really related to my music video episode, except that it's about music videos, but it's not categorizing it. As you know, I love music videos. And so when I hear a song, I think I'll look up the music video. And there's this song called Sunroof that's out right now. It's been out for like almost a year, maybe like 10 months. And it's on the radio all the time. I've got my head out the sunroof. I'm blasting my favorite tunes. I've only got one thing on my mind. Okay. That sounds familiar. Okay. It's. That's the chorus. It's called Sunroof. Mm-hmm. It's by some doofy looking man. He looks so doofy. Okay. I like look up his face and I'm like, this is your face. Okay. What's the music video? Well, this music hmm. video takes place entirely, the whole music video, in a convertible. Do you know oh, how yeah. mad I was? Yeah, yeah, I follow. I googled it. Sunroof is a song by Nikki Yor. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, which looks like the U R version of Yor, but without the apostrophe. Can Can you understand how mad I am about this? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's infuriating. The song is called Sunroof. I follow, yes. Just, if you don't have access to a way to record this song, this video, with a car with a sunroof, make it about something else. Make the video in a different setting. Just make it Mm. totally different. Uh Uh-huh. Why do this thing, which is just so wrong. I'm so mad about it. It's like I can't get over it. I want so badly to talk to the artistic director of this music video and Mm. this man and be like, sir... What were you thinking? Why yeah. would you do this to me? Mm-hmm. Why did you personally attack me in this way? Anyway, that's my update. I'm really mad about it. No, that's a good one. That would be great for old business if this were an episode of the Smug Buds. Yes. Um, and even though it's not, 
Uh, Liz and I are the hosts of a podcast called The Smug Buds. And also, once upon a time, we were the hosts of a little podcast called Wes and Mm -hmm. uh, Conversations about the films of Wes Anderson. And if we did old business (laughs) or bidness, as I apparently want to say, (laughs) um, for that podcast, I might bring up that in the ages and ages in between now and when we last did an episode of the smug buds yeah at some point i did see some news about wes anderson that i wanted to bring up oh yeah and the the reason for the news is not particularly interesting to me it the the headline is focus features and universal reteam with wes anderson for asteroid city so Uh. it's it's mainly a story about who the the distributor will be. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting because we talked about it when French Dispatch came out. That was a Fox movie that was unreleased when Disney acquired Fox. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a it's a Disney movie um <laughs> in the way that uh some of his previous films were, but not in a long while. But when I read this story, I wanted to say um when we talked about Asteroid City in the past, uh-huh. we talked a little bit about the cast mm-hmm. and we talked about how it was shooting in Spain. Right. And I think I sort of understood that as, oh, yeah, he loves to hop from country to country. French Dispatch was in France mm-hmm. and this will be in Spain. Um, and here's what I wanted to point out from the article where they have... Um, a bit of a summary of Asteroid City. And it says, this is from Deadline, Anderson's latest is a poetic meditation on the meaning of life. It tells the story of a fictional American desert town. What? Circa, circa 1955. And it's Junior Stargazer Convention, which brings together students and parents from across the country for scholarly competition, rest and recreation, comedy drama romance and more so what i didn't know until i read this and what i thought was interesting is that despite filming in spain apparently it is it's set in america that's so weird and it sounds like maybe set in like the american southwest like Mm -hmm. my part of the country (laughs) and it is mine and i do take ownership over it after living here for seven years or eight years that's so weird why would he do that and Bill um, Murray's not in it anymore. So okay, so I was so I was going to bring that up next because the top story trending on Deadline today it is October sixteenth, twenty twenty two, and that that headline is Bill Murray faces avalanche of new accusations. Oh no! So are you? Do you know something that perhaps I don't about? Bill, was Bill Murray supposed to be in it, and now he isn't? Yeah, so do you remember when we talked about um, the French Dispatch, and we were talking about how it would be nice if that was Bill Murray's last Wes Anderson film, and uh-huh. you said, well, spoilers, he's in Asteroid City. I, I vaguely recall that, now that you say it. So he got sick and couldn't film. Oh, okay. He wasn't there for the shooting days. I don't think he was going to... I guess he must not have been a main character if he only had a few days that he missed and then just totally Presumably, missed Presumably, yeah. He was 
just going to do something for a few days. But yeah, that's all the information I have. I don't think it's related to this, though I'm sure Wes Anderson is, I don't know, maybe he's just like, that's all false. <laughs> well, this feels like it is a setup for if it hasn't happened already, I think it's about to happen. Everyone who's ever worked with Bill Murray is going to have to weigh in on mm-hmm. whether he is a, a genius whose actions are excusable or an asshole who should be uh, held in lower esteem. Did you? <laughs> and I feel like this is a setup for Wes Anderson himself getting himself into a little bit of a. Uh, and was it Angelica Houston who like defended Woody Allen not that long ago? Oh, God, I, I, if I, I remember correctly, like one of those kind of situations. Yeah. You know. Did you see? I, feel- a, I don't know if you saw the clip of Seth Green talking about being nine years old and meeting with Bill Murray. No, I I know it exists, but I haven't watched it. I don't know what he says. He says that he was nine and he was going to be on. It doesn't say in the clip that I saw because I saw this on TikTok what show he was going to be on. But he was sitting on the arm of a couch and Bill Murray was being like a dick basically and said, you're sitting in my seat. And Seth Green like wouldn't move. And so Bill Murray picked him up by the ankles (laughs) and dangled him over a trash can. And, you know, Seth Green's a little guy, so I can't imagine how big he was when he was nine. Mm-hmm. And he said that he, like, fully got him in the crotch. And so Bill Murray dropped him into the trash can. Oh. Seth Green is losing his mind with embarrassment. He runs at his dressing room, hides under the table, and two people, I think one of them was Eddie Murphy, <laughs> came in sure. and was like, hey, man, Bill, everyone knows Bill's a dick. <laughs> and then they said, he's hosting the show. He's probably nervous, but, like, we got to be pros about it, right? Like, you're a pro, right? Like, Eddie Murphy is saying this to a tiny Seth Green. And Seth Green said that he was just, like, weeping, like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm a pro. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get all my NFTs stolen one day. That's what a pro I am. (laughs) Forgot about that. Uh, Never forget. All my apes gone. I know that was a different guy, but it's funny (laughs) to say all my apes gone because somebody said it on the internet. But yeah, that's um, that's the story. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I didn't hear the story from Seth Green. I heard it secondhand from you. But that sounds exactly like something that like could potentially be a very funny, lighthearted story mm-hmm. at the same time as it could be like really horrific and traumatizing. Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like Bill Murray has walked that line for many years yeah. <laughs> and has made different impressions <laughs> on different people. Yeah, I'm totally ready to to write write him off and yeah it might it might make watching like movies that i love like rushmore a little bit harder but like i'm not the sort of person who's like really precious about ghostbusters or like most of the movies that he's very famous for bringing comedic life to yeah it's not like my second favorite movie he's in or anything uh-huh. Though, Will, I think we talked about this a little bit. Like, I'm also just sort of waiting for something to come out about Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that for sure. Yeah, so I guess, fine. like, I don't know. I'm not – you know what? He's not – I guess not, part – I guess part. He didn't do something as bad as another Bill in this world, so. Another way of articulating what I'm trying to say is there are Bill Murray movies and there are movies that Bill Murray is in. Mm-hmm. And I'm more of a fan of movies that Bill Murray is in yes, than I am agreed. of Bill Murray movies. Yeah. Historically. Um, but 
more importantly, uh, we are actually here to talk about a Hulu original program called The Handmaid's Tale, season five, episodes five and six. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where I am at on these episodes. Yes. It feels like I watched episode five a lifetime ago. Uh-huh. And I watched episode six an hour ago. <laughs> I watched episode six uh, Friday. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, one of these is slightly fresher in my mind. But I I am sure I remember one thing from episode five that we're going to talk about. And if we don't mm-hmm. talk about anything else, uh, I'm okay with that. Okay. Um. After our last episode, I texted you, oh, I forgot to say something. Yes, please. Go so ahead and say that. before you even start with episode five, let me say what I what I forgot to discuss in, in the last time we spoke was, I think in episode four, there's a scene where June is sitting down talking to Moira. Mm-hmm. And... I don't remember exactly the substance of their conversation, but the the way I remember the spirit of it is June is saying something to Moira like, am I always going to be like this? Is it always going to be this way? Is it ever mm-hmm. going to get any better? And Moira says something like, well, I, I trust you with Nicole now. Like that's <laughs> better than it was. Exactly. That's the reason why I wanted <laughs> to bring it up. Is because the show did like nothing to earn this moment where Moira is like, I, I, you remember two weeks ago when I was like, I'm afraid of leaving you alone with your baby. That's all better now. <laughs> like she just almost, she just like went and sh- had a gun. Like she buried a gun in the ground and then she unburied it. Like, yeah. So while I was talking, I I brought up the show on Hulu on my phone to refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. The season five, episode five is called Fairy Tale, and it's described as June and Luke embark on a dangerous quest. Serena gets to know her new hosts. <laughs> so this is sort of a general place, but I think I think all of these things are like at the very beginning of the show, which is like I know we've talked about race before in the show. Um, but I feel like there's like three sort of like weird race things happening at the beginning of this episode okay. that are of varying degrees of them acknowledging that they're thinking about race. Mm. The first is that um, there's this like Martha essentially working at the house Serena's at. And uh-huh. like, I want to know, like, who is this like black woman within the world of the show, not the actress, who is willing to perform this caricature of servitude for this family yeah the family which is to be clear not in gilead yes and so yeah it feels very much like they are like role-playing and i want to know a like, gilead household they must be paying her like how much are they paying her i guess um so there's that there's the fact that like so it starts out at the beginning and you know this is plot related like Luke and June are like we'll go over the border and like you know do this thing and get this information and Kenny's watching this with me and he goes don't they have a baby mm-hmm. They <laughs> say think- they 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 insert a line for people who ask that question did you catch that Yeah they say she's sleeping 
Yes. What? <laughs> they make they make it clear, not visually, but with a, a throwaway line of dialogue. The baby is sleeping, and Moira is watching the baby. Which is absurd. That's it's, not. It's not how good. naps work. <laughs> it's 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 strange. It's. <laughs> Like, also, like, if somebody else is watching the baby, it doesn't matter if they're sleeping or not. You know what I mean? So let me ask you um, a question I've thought of. So I, mm-hmm. I think one of the failures of this plot line is that it is not sufficiently clear what they are after. Yes, I agree. They, they Luke and June cross the border into no man's mm-hmm. land to meet with a Mayday contact who they say can't make it up here himself. Mm -hmm. But somehow Luke and June, they, they think can cross the border both ways, make a, a, not only a one way trip, but a return trip. Mm -hmm. When, when this one guy can't do that. He can't he'd be getting away from his post for too long. Do they say that? Uh, they don't they don't explicitly say that, but I think the idea is that like he's at a post and mm-hmm. they can go meet him, get information and come back, but he would be missing for too long if he'd made that same journey. Right. Okay. So that was a bit of a s- distraction from w- the point that I really want to make, which is why you know, w- why are they having this meeting at all? Because yes. the contact apparently has some information about Hannah that I guess is supposed to help them get Hannah back eventually. But it's not clear what the content of that information could be. Mm-hmm. And when they do meet up, and I want to say make the exchange, but there's no exchange. I mean, exchange implies something going both. I guess yeah, one they drop thing something could be off, exchanged but... to one person. And it's a one-way. They make the one-way exchange. They make a drop-off. They and, and or the pickup for mm-hmm. from June and Luke's perspective, and it's on a, a flash drive. Apparently, it's on a, yes. whatever they're after is on a thumb drive. So it can't just be explained. It can't Wait, just be verbalized. I think that they drop some stuff off for him, though. Oh, that's true. I, I, so, I you're right. I had forgotten. It is an exchange two way. Though I would they, argue it's not a pure exchange because it's not like they're trading. <laughs> But I mean, literally, there one gives each yes. party gives something to the other. But it's yes. not, it's not conditional. It's not yes. like you only get this information if I get these resources. It's like no, you you have two reasons for being here. As mm-hmm. long as you're going to pick that up, why don't you drop off these resources while you're there? Yes, and kill two birds with one stone. Uh, my my point is, I don't know what's on this thumb drive that could be so valuable, so important, and also couldn't be you know, said over a phone call or over mm-hmm. a radio or something. Um, so my my question to you is, do you think that we will ever find out? Do no. You- <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because clearly they've taken that. I know we're going to skip. I'm skipping ahead just slightly to the next episode, which is that like they're captured. And so like clearly all their shit has been taken. Okay, it's not so- like. There's no way but, that they still have this thumb drive on them. Just to be clear, 
you're 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 assuming that because that would stand to reason. You're not saying something that we literally see. <laughs> yes, I'm on not this saying screen. that. We but don't... you know what? There was something else we made an assumption about from an earlier episode that we were wrong about that we'll talk about next episode. So yeah, that's <laughs> that that's true. Um, so so we don't you know literally like logic dictates that what you're saying is true, but mm-hmm. literally we don't know the state of the flash drive right now. Yes. And the the question that I am looking for to be answered is, Was it, will it not matter at all? And it mm-hmm. was just purely a plot device to get them into a position where they were in danger and where they could be captured and where the rest of the plot could happen. Yeah. Or are they actually going to take a little time to justify all of that by by showing us more of the flash drive and we find out something that was on it, something that will also move the Hannah plot forward later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's more likely that that is going to be totally abandoned, that it served its purpose and that there was nothing of, of real substance going on there. And And... We're on episode, in our little two packs, we're on episode six right now. So we have four more episodes? I'm assuming that. I'm assuming, we are six down and I'm assuming that it's four to go. But that's just based on the precedent that they've set. It's not Mm -hmm. based on seeing that number publicized anywhere. And I've looked and I haven't found it. Yeah, I remember us trying to look this up another week. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's time for it to come back, but... There, there's time for for a lot for, of things for anything <laughs> a- anything could happen at any pace it could be incredibly slow and nothing happens or you know anything could happen and it doesn't have to be earned or justified it just has to happen yeah absolutely oh and then the other um weird race thing that came yeah, out right be- oh because the reason i was bringing up like don't they have a baby to take care of is like you know i th- i forget how much i've mentioned this in other episodes but like you know, June has this white baby that has been consistently taken care of by, like, the two black characters on the show. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I feel like the show doesn't even realize what that looks like. Right. And now you have Luke and June just going off into the woods and leaving. Just, just real quick. Yes. Do you think that if someone writing the show heard that? Uh-huh. Do you think that th- that they might say Nick is not white and Nick is the father of that baby? Um, is Nick not white? Is that actor not white? I'll look it up. <laughs> He's British. That's true. Um, that might be true, but that baby is white passing. Sure. <laughs> that baby appears white and... You know, it, that's definitely a situation where... I feel like we're talking about House of the Dragon now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Save it for our House of the Dragon recap podcast. Um, God, what a show to watch. So much incest. Um, so, yes. But then we also get... So we get flashbacks throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Serena flashbacks. And one of the flashbacks is this weird, I wrote, what is this weird racist flashback where Serena's walking with um, 
that family who I can never remember, the Warren family, I guess. Uh, Putnam? The Mrs. Putnam. Yeah. She's walking with Mrs. Putnam. And they're in some sort of like weird holding cell of children that are all children who are not white. And they all, it's like so dumb. (laughs) They've like stolen these children from their parents, but then not given them to anybody because they're not white. Except for the fact that we know, then they're they're just like, well, I certainly couldn't take a not white child, which is also ridiculous because we know for a fact that Hannah is not white and a family gobbled her up right away. Mm. So it just doesn't make, like, it's like this weird thing where they're like, look how racist they are, except that we know it's not true. Because Mm. we know that there's at least one very important character who's not white, who was a child, who immediately was assigned a family. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm glad that you brought up that scene because I totally would have forgotten all about the existence of that scene, even though when I watched it, I certainly thought this is one of the weirder things that we've seen. (laughs) And, um, when they, so I think there are two or maybe three Serena flashbacks in episode five. And when they did the first one, Dana just sort of remarked like, oh, a flashback. Yeah. As if that was odd. And I had the same reaction, but then I had to remind myself like, no, that's a flashback is supposed to be very normal for this show. What's yes. what's odd is that it, it used to be, it was all June's flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It used to, the show norm for the show used to be, Present day, June is a handmaid, and lots of times we see a flashback to how her life was before, mm-hmm. or the beginning of you know her being trained to be a handmaid, you know, etc. And this stood out as odd because the show hasn't operated that way in a while, and also it's Serena having flashbacks. We have had one episode with Serena flashbacks. Yeah. Do you remember this? I don't remember what episode it was, but do you remember what I'm talking about? Um, is it? I mean, I, I, I vaguely remember glimpses of Serena's life as an author. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it was that episode. The, the flashbacks that I remember, it must have been like season two. It was when when we talked about it initially, we talked about the fact that it was like. How like don't make us try to empathize with this clearly evil woman. Uh-huh, that was like yeah. the first time we talked about that for because sure. the flashbacks were of like her and Fred like real horny for each other and like praying so they could like get their clothes off. Right. <laughs> and then also there was a flashback of her like walking like like running her hands over her wife's clothes that were hanging up. They had like moved into a house. Yeah. I think right after the fall. Um. So yeah, it's not. It's not. It's they've done it before with Serena, right. but it, they definitely have not done this in a very long time. Yeah, that's that's why it stuck out. And there's also a flashback to uh, Serena and Aunt Lydia uh, picking a handmaid, mm-hmm. uh, which the Waterfords we we learn, you know, didn't think that they were going to need, but eventually succumbed to. And I had to remind myself that, like, it's not June. She's not picking June because she's picking her first handmaid. Mm-hmm. And June was clearly not their first handmaid. 
Yes. And I was thinking like, oh, okay, we're going to, like the next flashback is going to be like when their first handmaid, you know, hung herself in their house or or something like that. Something to do with the person that she's picking. Yeah. Um, but then that never came. So far it hasn't. And it, and it, it probably isn't coming at all. But the, the weirder flashback is the one that you are pointing out which I thought seemed odd for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is the way that they get out of it. The last In the last shot, Serena and Mrs. Putnam are standing back to back in the hallway and it's yes. sort of a wide shot. And it's just, I mean, they were going for something. Like, I don't think that it's totally random, um, but it just, it was odd how st- staged and, and artificial <laughs> it seemed the other flashback thing i'm glad you brought up the picking of the handmade one mm-hmm. because kenny and i both said the same thing when that was happening which is that aunt lydia sounds like the npc in a vi- an npc in a mm. video game yes <laughs> i did not think of that but i totally understand wh- what you mean it it sounds like a like a shopkeeper who is making comments while you are browsing yeah. the wares. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like, cause she'll be like, like she's trying to encourage. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to show that she's like trying to encourage Serena to like pick one. Like at one point she said, Oh yes. She also caught the eye of commander Waterford, which is like such a creepy thing to say. Yeah. I mean, not really that creepy for the show, but like you, and then, but then like, yeah, it's like every time she touches a new one, she's just like, she's of a good stock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. like, oh, yeah, pick up another one. See if she says, pick up the same one again. See if she says the same thing. Repeats it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So while you were talking about the racial dynamics in that strange flashback, I was looking up uh, Max Mingella, I hope is how you pronounce the name of the actor who plays Nick. Uh-huh. And would you like to hear the section from his Wikipedia? Please. Titled Ancestry and Ethnicity. Yes. Wow, he has a whole Ancestry and Ethnicity section. It's a subheading underneath the larger heading of Early Life and Education. Mm -hmm. Mingella's father was born on the Isle of Wight and was of Italian descent. His mother, who was from Hong Kong, is from a family of multiple heritage. Okay. His maternal grandfather, George Choa, was uh, three-quarters Chinese and one-quarter Jewish descent. And his maternal grandmother, Maisie Nora, was of Indian, Parsi, English, Irish, Swedish, and Chinese ancestry. Wow. So he's like real multicultural, so to speak. Yes. Uh, So that would explain why I look at that actor and I think that is... uh, that is not a white person. That is an I, am- ambiguously ethnic person. I will take your point that he is not white. And I will still argue that yeah. the baby actress playing mm-hmm. Nicole is absolutely white. Yeah, yeah, I would not argue with that <laughs> at all. Yeah. And so for the sake of the way people in Canada are viewing this baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so... Uh, I think that the meat of this episode is Luke and June 
meeting up with the contact. Mm-hmm. Whose name is Jaden, and it's spelled J-A-E-D-E-N, the weirdest way to spell it, which is so weird. Why would they spell it that way? We don't see it, except I saw it because it was in the captions. Yes, it is. Yes, you got that from the subtitles. Let me just cut to the chase. Yeah. My big problem is the code words. Raspberry Beret? Yes. (laughs) Here's how this is delivered to us. Before they leave to cross the border, Mm -hmm. they're being like prepped by Mayday. And their Mayday contact says to June, do you remember the code word? Say the code word back to me. And June says, beret. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the code word. That turns out to be a setup for when they meet up with their contact. And their contact is young Jaden. Appears to be one of those Gilead security guys. And he's pointing his gun at them in the woods. And he's yelling, raspberry, raspberry. And June responds, beret. Mm -hmm. And now we have both parts of the code words. Mm -hmm. I think think my problem with this should be self-evident, but I'll I'll spell spell it out. (laughs) Having not been a spy myself, (laughs) I think it would be a bad idea for the two parts of a of a code phrase mm-hmm. to be solvable by word association by someone mm-hmm. who doesn't know the code words right if Ju- if 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 he had run into anyone else who didn't know the code word uh-huh. and shouted raspberry at them uh-huh. Suppose that person understood, oh, I can I can live through this and not get shot by this guy if I just say the word that he wants me to say in response. Mm-hmm. Why would anyone be shouting raspberry at me unless it was the first part of a coded phrase mm-hmm. of a of a password? I think I think beret is maybe only fifth on a list of words that anyone might use if they were just doing word that anyone might respond with if they were just doing word association is wait is raspberry beret a thing okay so this is where you've revealed that you don't know what i'm talking about okay yes. <laughs> i i sorry that- i was waiting to see where you were going cuz i i agreed with you and i was like yeah it's real random i thought that there was a good chance uh, that you would not know what the reference is but then when you immediately recalled that the complete password was raspberry beret it was cuz I, I wrote it down oh okay <laughs> raspberry beret is a song by prince oh she wore a raspberry beret, the kind uh-huh. you get in a secondhand store. That's a that's a that's a famous song. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the only the only reason, and it's not a good reason. The only reason to do this is if after they have that exchange, there's a needle drop. No. <laughs> 
No, I think I think it's I think it's spelled out in the episode mm-hmm. what they should have done. And yes. and it seems so obvious to me that it's like, well, maybe they did write it and they had to cut it for time. Mm. But it's a short episode. It's it, episode five is much shorter than episode six. And so yeah. there was not a time crunch. We later, when we learn Jaden's name and we get to know him enough to have feelings about him so mm-hmm. that it, it it's emotional when he explodes. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the thing that they're doing is this kid is a soldier and he's so young and he's so mm-hmm. young that he doesn't really remember the world before Gilead. So when you have the password be Raspberry Beret and that's a song by Prince, Mm-hmm. You have Jaden go, you know, thank God you remembered your part because that means nothing to me. <laughs> How do they come up with these random passphrases, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's so random. Saying beret to raspberry, who would who would think to do that? Mm-hmm. And that informs us, the audience, that he's a little young pup who doesn't know the reference, mm-hmm. which is what they want us to get to know. As we spend more time with him at the bowling alley. Yeah. Instead, it's just a bad password because it's something that someone could guess if they know the reference. Yeah. I guess as I'm talking about, I've thought about this a lot. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm still having new thoughts about it as I'm talking about it. Uh If Mayday came up with that password, maybe what they were thinking is... Well, this would never be a reference to people in Gilead. Mm. Like the people in Gilead are so holy and righteous and religious that they that they would never reference a prince song. Yeah. And that's why it makes a good password for us. But still, it- it's um it's 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 pointless and stupid. And, yeah. And I and I think it's bad spy work. That could also <laughs> be the point that they're trying to make. Whenever whenever somebody does something wrong or stupid, I have to remind myself maybe the writers are thinking the characters it's justified that the characters should be bad at this. Mhm. I don't think that they want us to think that way about Mayday. I don't think that they wanted to think me to think about this at all. Except to think, I like Prince. <laughs> Somebody who wrote this likes Prince. We're on the same side. Yeah. I also wonder, like, I wonder if they wanted that to be a needle drop and couldn't get it. So that that leads me to the next thing that I could think to think about is just to I don't have much to say about it, but just to comment on uh-huh. because we we're always tracking the needle drops and how they're used. What this episode has is Luke performing a song. Uh-huh. Uh and it is Let's Stay Together by Al Green. Yes. He plays it on the keyboard and he sings it himself. Mm-hmm. And then when the episode ends, we hear that song over the credits. Yes. So that's kind of a needle drop. Mm-hmm. 
but it's it's a kind of oh, okay well they wouldn't do the character performing the song unless they had the rights to do it and so they're going to do both yeah it's kind of like um how much did you watch the office i watched probably through the fifth season and then some dabbling here and there i think in i think it's in season two i think it's in the dundies episode Uh uh-huh yeah when michael scott we see a lot of michael scott's material for hosting the dundies Mm -hmm. and part of his material is singing a parody of tiny dancer yeah and then before the episode is over when the episode is ending they play non-diegetically the show plays tiny dancer (laughs) and i remember i don't think i ever i never had the dvds for the office i never like listened to commentary but for some reason just divorced from context i have a memory of hearing one or two of the writers or the maybe the director of the episode or somebody behind the scenes saying like we had to have a conversation about whether it was okay to do this on our show mm. because it's a mockumentary. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean for us to use non-diegetic music? Mm-hmm. And we came to the conclusion that some, like, some documentaries will do this. That's like, fair. Like, it, like, it, like, we felt like we could justify it by like, you heard the characters using Tiny Dancer diegetically. The documentary filmmakers might use that as an opportunity to play the actual song to score part of their documentary. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, for some reason that, that stuck with me, even though I don't remember where I heard that, where I heard the behind the scenes part of that episode of The Office. But I thought of that immediately when we get two versions of the same song <laughs> and it's basically done the same way. A character sings it and then end of the episode, we hear the actual thing. Yeah. That's interesting. They are probably really influenced by the office. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, I have two more notes. The yeah. first is that I always hate like that when they get there and he's like, you can't leave until sunset and Luke goes, well, I'm I'm pretty beat. It's so casual, it makes me feel like nuts. <laughs> Interesting. Like that whole thing where they're like, "Oh, we're like here in this like weird cinder block arcade and like we're hanging out and we're going to bowl and we're like dancing." I was just like, "Yeah, that means something really bad's going to happen. I don't trust any of this." You've reminded me of my issue was uh the the tech in the bowling alley is so old. Yes. Does that line up in your mind? I with what's supposed to be real in this world. I will say that I never go to a bowling alley and think, "Wow, this is the edge, the cutting edge of technology." No, but that that there there's <laughs> there's a distinction to be made here, which is uh-huh. that the actual like not the arcade part, but the but the bowling part of the bowling alley itself, bowling mm-hmm. alley itself. Yeah. The screens that they interact with, it's like 
it looks like dot matrix and it and it makes the sounds of an arcade machine. Oh like, yeah, it yeah. Makes like beeps and bloops. When I go to a bowling alley, not just today, but I believe in my memory for years. Yeah. It's like the screens at the bowling alley, they're they are like they're playing cartoons, you know, they're they're t- oh, they are I see what you're they saying. are TV screens. Yeah. And this is like the the aesthetically I think what they've gone for is this bowling alley slash arcade is frozen in time and the time it was frozen is sometime in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, yeah. When shouldn't it be like, I don't know, the first decade of the two thousands? I will say that despite um how this show doesn't make any sense. This weird building does seem to be in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> that That is also inexplicable. Which makes me think that maybe it was abandoned pre the fall of, of the United States. But basically, correct me if I'm wrong, as I remember it, we basically only see the interior of the bowling alley. Yeah, we see the outside because when we first see the building, the outside... Like a shot of the outside, you can see that it's all cinder blocks, which is very weird. It makes okay. it look like not like I was not expecting what I saw inside because the outside was so like prisony to me, um, or like garage warehouse, if that makes sense. Like it doesn't have siding, it doesn't have bricks. It's like cinder blocks. But yes, we don't see a wide shot of the road leading up to there. Like we don't see other buildings around. This- yeah, there's like a fence that they have to crawl through a hole, I think, but mm. um, it does sort of look like it's a standalone building in the middle of the woods from what the information we have. That's how it feels. Yeah. Which which is bizarre. Yes. It doesn't in, make any sense. It's inexplicable. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is Serena's, um, <laughs> because this is really important for the end or for the next episode, mm-hmm. which is that Serena experiences about five minutes of the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has a little meeting with the um, other wives of this woman's friends. I wrote bitches love tea cakes mm. because they have all these tea cakes set out. Mm-hmm. Um, the baby kicks and the women are just ravenous around her pregnancy, just ravenous. Mm-hmm. Um, she, at one point, the guy who lives there, the the husband, uh, like what makes her take a prenatal vitamin and like watches her take it, mm-hmm. which I just want to say is bullshit. She would have been taking prenatal vitamins for months. <laughs> I definitely, I I don't. Uh, now that I've seen episode six, I mm-hmm. don't think that this is going to pay off in the way that I thought it was going to. But when I watched that scene, I definitely thought, oh, they're drugging her mm-hmm. with something that they're not telling her they're giving her. Yeah. To make her more docile. Well, and see, that's like part of the reason why I was like, because that thought crossed my mind too. But like, and I think the reason I didn't think it was that was because if they wanted it to be that, they could have had Serena say, oh, clearly I've been taking prenatal vitamins for months. Mm -hmm. Like, I already took mine today. And then he could say something like, oh, well, this is like a better one. And then it would be like, okay, that's shady. Like, she. But the reason I say 
that it's complete bullshit that she wasn't taking prenatal vitamins is because even in the books, they take a vitamin every day with their, like, one meal. Oh, yeah. Because, again, they're all about fertility or whatever. So, like, prenatal vitamins, the main thing, do you know why prenatal vitamins are important? Not really. So there's two reasons. The first is just that by recommending that a woman takes a prenatal vitamin, you make sure that she has all of the sort of, it's basically a stopgap, right? Mm-hmm. But very specifically, and the second reason is folic acid, which basically folic acid, they found, prevents these spinal um, defects that some babies can have. And so that's why if you look at major sort of staple foods like milk and um, breads and stuff like that, and rice, or not, yeah, rice, they've all been fortified with vitamin D and folic acid. Um, because it's sort of a hard nutrient to get, but once they did that, like the, the number of these defects in the United States went, it was like a small ish number, but enough to be, I mean, clearly every one would be devastating, but it went from something like, let's say 8,000 to 2000, like just by ensuring that women are sort of naturally eating and people who can get pregnant these, but anyway, the point being, there's no way in hell that she was not already taking prenatal vitamins. Mm-hmm. It's so stupid. It makes me very mad. This is like part of my my criticism of the show is like parenting doesn't make sense. Um, and then, yeah, she asks for a cell phone and they say, oh, you know, you don't have to be working. You know, you're you know, you're going to end in This is going to end in bed rest, like chill out, basically. And Serena's like, oh, God, <laughs> what have I done? Um but then the one final thing I want to bring up is who who the hell is this guy and his wife? Because they're not in Gilead, but it, at, in this particular episode, he says, the commanders and I mm-hmm. made a decision about something. Right. And so he is, I guess, I guess we've, we sort of knew that he was working with Gilead because, like, that's why she's there safely. But, like, who is this guy? <laughs> well... Yeah, I don't think that it um, clearly makes sense. I think that we get some more insight into um, this in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Geographically, I I don't think that I can keep very good track of where things are happening. Yeah, I when when a scene is in Canada, there. Let me start that over. There are scenes, not in these two episodes, mm-hmm. uh, that are clearly set in Canada. I know they're mm-hmm. in Canada. There are scenes that are clearly in Gilead. I know when mm-hmm. we're in Gilead. There are scenes where I'm not sure if we're supposed to be in no man's land or if they've crossed into Gilead or if they're in some part of America. I'm assuming that that's never the case, but... I feel like that possibility is like on the table. Yeah. So like, for example, what is your understanding of what I, I cannot think of their name. Is it Wilson? The, the Wheeler Wheeler. Where is the Wheeler's house? Is it in no man's land or is it in Canada? I, I believe that it's in Canada, like in a suburb of Toronto. Okay, yeah. Like, I could... like a bit of a drive from Toronto, but not far enough that 
Because any, it seems like anywhere they're going, they can get to in a few hours. Right. <laughs> okay, I could totally buy that. Now, when June and Luke are picked up at the end of episode five, they're trying to cross the border. They almost get there because mm-hmm. a truck drives up alongside of them um, and then it stops and uh, mm-hmm. people get out of it, which means that they're being chased on foot when um, they could have been chased by a truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, But then another truck does pull up and it is in front of them and so it is blocking them. And so they can't get away. And so they get picked up. And I guess I was low-key assuming that they were picked up in Gilead. But actually, they were in no man's land Mm -hmm. trying to cross the border into Canada. The one thing I will say, too, about where the wheelers are is there's people dropping off flowers all the time for Serena. Right. Which indicates to me that she's just like, you know, she's not in a really, you know, the, the building she's in has got a fence around it with a gate. But she's not like. In some inaccessible backwoods property. Mm -hmm. She's like on a street that people have access to and like know where she is and can get to easily. Right. Good point. Yeah. That's good information. So what we learn about Mr. Wheeler in episode six is that he has authority over the men in black who pick up, uh, not Serena, June and luke in no man's land Mm -hmm. they're his guys yeah so if he's anything i guess if he's not lying Mm -hmm. if he's not outright lying when he says the commanders and i came to a decision Mm -hmm. if he really is in the position of power that he's supposed to be in then perhaps despite living in canada he has a working relationship with the commanders of Gilead as mm-hmm. the sort of leader of a paramilitary force that picks up runaways in nomads land, no mm-hmm. man's land and returns them to Gilead if that's where they ran away from. Yes, that sounds right. Okay. So... When Luke and June are picked up, they're put in cages, and we we think, worst case scenario, what is going to happen to them is that they're both going to be brought to Gilead. And that will... Because, because the actual worst case scenario, which is that they both get shot, will not happen. It, right then and there, you mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that I think that they're too yeah, they're too valuable to just be not, and I don't just mean to the story. I mean like yes. in in universe they can be used as currency. They can, they can be traded. There's there's the the people who pick them up have no reason to just kill runaways. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. even runaways who have done what what June did. So, while this is going on, okay, let let's just let's do let's deal with something small real quick. Okay, there are a few scenes when they're in the cages, uh-huh. and one that is stressful, and one that is funny. 
Yes. And then finally, one that is like heartfelt. Yes. And when they're being funny, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? Airbnb exists. Airbnb exists. <laughs> In addition to there being a new Fortnite. <laughs> I wrote that down in all caps with an exclamation mark. They 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 will just reference whatever they want to reference to to make a funny joke. What <laughs> so so yeah. Uh in the world of, of Gilead seceding from the United States and if I remember correctly, just like effectively like killing the entire like U.S. government. <laughs> yeah, they killed all of Congress and with machine um, guns and being at war with America and and Airbnb Airbnb scraped through somehow. Um, another thing I want to mention about them being in the cages just generally is that like I think it's so dumb <laughs> that they put them in cages right next to each other. <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's obviously more cages, but, like, I feel like the way it's presented to us is that, like, well, they're going to separate them. Like, they're not going to keep them in the same cage. That makes sense. But then they just put them in cages directly beside each other. And then they just talk as if, like, nobody can hear them and they're totally safe. True. And they've been abandoned. Which I just feel like immediately you'd want to separate them. Immediately you'd, you know, isolate, isolate, isolate. Like, so much of the show is about isolation. And like, clearly they're not going to do that because they need they need us to have conversations. What else were we going to do? But I yeah. just think it's so it's so bad and like so doesn't make any sense. I'm also I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that when before they get to the cages, when they're in the back of the truck, and June says, "These are Gilead guys," because it it smells too unhealthy mm-hmm. in this van. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. What what I take from that is, if these aren't Gilead guys, we don't know who they are until we do. Yeah. But, but we don't know who they are and we don't know how to expect them to behave. Mm-hmm. So they could do whatever and I would basically go along with it. And I'm just waiting <laughs> to see like what their motivation is and, and what this really means mm-hmm. for for what's going to happen to our heroes. So, but just by the way, I feel like the Airbnb reference is a distraction from something else that is funny about that very same moment, mm-hmm. which is the lead up to saying Airbnb is when Luke says the reason he's starting to like this place is tall ceilings, natural light has kind of a loft feel to it. Yeah. And that moment is all, not nearly, but almost as good as the previous moment that we talked about where Serena wants to do photos by a window for, yeah. for natural light. It's, it's, it's <laughs> almost that close to being a sort of meta, like he could be describing, you know, any indoor set in the, in the history of the show, you know? Yes, yes. Light filtering through so a it, something. It feels like the it, it, it. It's almost as if the characters are becoming aware of the 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 bespoke world that they live in. Let's talk about how Serena's circumstances are getting worse. So she meets her tiny gynecologist, <laughs> which I that went. Made me laugh. 
oh, what a tiny gynecologist. <laughs> and Kenny said, he's at the bottom of the stairs. Okay. And then he walks up the stairs and Kenny goes, oh, he's still kind of small. That reminds me I that something I did say in this episode is that for for ostensibly how much concern they have for Serena having a healthy pregnancy. It's a lot of stairs for a pregnant woman. <laughs> Kenny said that too. Yeah. Kenny said it's just up and down and up and down in stairs for someone who's so pregnant. <laughs> yeah. There should really be an elevator, like a small elevator in that house. One of those like, like chairs you sit on and it like. <laughs> oh yeah. Not even an elevator, but yeah. One of those, like the old woman in gremlins. <laughs> Um, so and I have some criticism of this tiny gynecologist. Okay. Yeah, please. So they go up to the entire fucking medical suite that they've been hiding from her. Serena is hor- visibly horrified that there's a whole room in this house dedicated to having a bed with stirrups and like a ultrasound machine. Um, cause now she realizes, oh, she doesn't need to leave this house to have a baby and, So, like, she is isolated, right? She's, like, being stuck in this house. And, you know, for the first time, she realizes that maybe the system she set up is not what she wants in her life. Um, So the guy does the... um, The... uh, Ultrasound? Ultrasound, and he checks out her cervix and stuff. Um, There's some indication that he was had his hands up in her, uh, which is normal. That's a normal thing they do when you're pregnant. Um, for he once, says, this is he a... says, if you don't mind, I'll take a quick peek. Yes. Um, because she's pregnant enough now that they're going to be checking to see if she's effaced, um, which means that the cervix is thinning out and you're getting ready. To she's pregnant birth. enough that she's going to give birth in the next episode. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's, she's definitely going to, especially the way she was breathing at the end of this one. But right. Um, he says that she should work on doing perineal massage. And do you know what that is? I feel like I do, even if I can't answer that question. So the idea of perineal massage is that your skin in the vaginal canal and outside of it will usually tear when you give birth. And one of the ways that you can hypothetically avoid this, I don't actually believe the efficacy of this is that high, is essentially taking some sort of oil or moisturizer and rubbing the inside of the bottom of your vaginal canal in such a way that it sort of makes the skin more supple and flexible so then it will not tear. He suggests that, but you are putting your fingers inside of your body or your partner is, whoever's doing this for you. He suggests that she use essential oils and witch hazel for this. Now, witch hazel, I looked this up and witch hazel is like a cooling sort of material so very often after you give birth, you will actually have um, witch hazel spray that you're sort of put on the outside of your body to help with like the tearing and bruising and helping that feel less of a burning situation or like a pain situation. But that said, even if we can maybe say, oh, maybe witch hazel is appropriate for this, though I don't think that it is. I think that it's the opposite of what you would want. Like that's not, <laughs> I don't think it's applicable here, but let's say that's okay to use. You do not want to be putting essential oils inside of your vagina. Yeah. What a terrible gynecologist. You want to be using the most neutral, like you want to be using like a KY jelly or something like that. Something as neutral and absolutely safe to be inside your body. Not some rando essential oils. Is there anything else 
any other use that he could have been recommending it for? No, he was specifically talking about perineal massage and says you tearing sucks. I know that he goes right from one to the other. Uh-huh. And I think it probably is what you're saying. I just want to know if there's another explanation for that. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm going back to the scene. Uh, okay, I've gone ahead too far because he's asking her out to dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he asks her out to dinner. What a creep. Okay, he's showing her the birthing suite. His name is Dr. Landers. Later we learn his name is Alan. Mm-hmm. His name is Alan Landers. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you are at the place right now where perineal massage is going to start being very effective for you, period. Uh-huh. Tearing is no picnic, so anything to get that tissue more flexible will have great benefits for you when the time comes, period. Mm-hmm. Avoid the gels. Just stick with essential oils, witch hazel, that sort of thing. Terrible advice. They have it all stocked here. See? And then they get into blood pressure. Yeah. No, it's clearly one right after the other. And so, yeah, it is um, hard to hard to understand it as anything other than how you understood it. Yeah. And also, as a note, anytime you do use essential oils for something, like you think that they smell nice or whatever, yeah, you have to, you can't put them directly on your skin. Mm-hmm. You have to mix them with like a carrier oil. Mm-hmm. So, like, the idea that he's suggesting he use essential oils directly on the skin is horrifying, but then directly on the inside of one's vagina is so bad. Yeah. Uh, this is all making sense to me. This is. <laughs> This is not what I, I thought was I was going to ask you about as a pregnancy expert, but it, it totally makes sense. I don't know how I didn't see it coming. Um, what, I, what I thought I might ask you about is there's – so there's another pregnancy in this episode. Mm-hmm. We, we learned there's that – There's two more pregnancies, actually. We learned that uh, Esther is pregnant. Yes. Um, and uh, we, we learned that she's three weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. According to the doctors, and the big funeral was three weeks ago. Yeah. So, does that raise any alarm? Does that raise any red flags? Any alarm bells for you in terms of the way that they came about finding this out doesn't make any sense because they were going to extract her uterus. Yes. In a in a line that is absurdly absurd it's it's not just the content being absurd but the very old cliche that i'm sure you know from being a creative writing undergrad student that i knew as as you know bob Mm -hmm. and the way lydia says it to the doctor is like did did esther's operation go well her uterus extraction surgery (laughs) like oh do you think maybe that's for the audience's benefit and not the character that she's talking to? <laughs> well, and it's especially funny because I think 
what they're trying to imply is that they were going to then, like, I was going to say install, but that's not the word. But I'll just say it. Install this uterus into another woman? Maybe. Um, Because you're thinking that because of the conversation we previously had about IVF and how that is not going on. Which is part of the reason why it's so absurd. Because they're not saying that they're doing, I don't know, the way that they worded it didn't feel to me like they were saying they were sterilizing her. Uh Uh-huh. The way that they worded it, it seemed like the... She's got a good uterus, but... But she's in a coma, and so she's not going to be using it. And so yes. let's in- let's get her uterus as long as she's not using it. Yeah, the intent was not for her. It was for the uterus to be for someone else. So when you get pregnant, um, some it depends on who you are. Some pregnancy tests will be able to get catch the pregnancy hormones in your body um, a few days before your missed period. Um, they're very sensitive now, these pregnancy tests. Um, mine didn't, as famously we know, I was a week late before my line showed up and then it showed up in the way that it's not supposed to, which is that you're not supposed to look at it after 15 minutes. You know, you're supposed to let it sit for 15 minutes, but then the results are only good for like half an hour. And I threw mine in the trash and pulled it out. And that's when I saw my line. Um, and it was so faint. It was like barely there. Um... Which is to say that there are some people whose pregnancy hormones are so low that they're not going to be picked up on these tests. However, you can detect pregnancy hormones a lot earlier with a blood test. So the reason that I say this is weird is because it's not like they started doing this procedure and then saw a baby in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how it seems. But if they... Because it seems like they stopped the procedure. What should have happened is they should have done blood work on her and mm-hmm. found out from that. So, which is to say the answer is twofold. The first is, is it possible that they know she's pregnant at three weeks? Absolutely. That's medically sound. The way that they indicate that they found out is so weird and ambiguous and vague. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I mean, this goes back then to the thing that we had said where, you know, I was like, did something happen in that room? And we were both like, no, they wouldn't have denied us seeing that terrible thing. This is what they like. It's torture porn. Right. Uh, but alas, I guess they like a reveal more than they like torture porn. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going back to the episode now. Also, I, I had a second joke that I wanted to make about the doctor's name. <laughs> Not only is his name Alan Alan Landers Alan Landers, but also Mrs. Wheeler's name is Alanis. Yeah, it's Alanis. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> why? Why? Why is it this? Like you can make it anything. You 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 you're not. <laughs> taking names from the book anymore you're not yeah you you're inventing characters why would you make it so that that the wheelers also have a w name when you could give them any name yeah one that doesn't start with w like waterford does yeah or and why (laughs) there's an alanis and also there's an alan and also, Al- Alanis Morissette is famously Canadian. Yes, I-, I did think of Alanis Morissette when <laughs> Serena said the name. 
Doctor, I've been told the procedure was canceled. Esther's uterus harvesting. Yes. <laughs> harvesting. Thank you for That's coming. what makes me think. Yeah. Oh, it's so unfortunate. Tragedy just seems to follow that poor soul. Well, happily, not today. We stopped the procedure when we found the handmaid had been filled with his divine light. So, yeah, okay. I just wanted to check. Um, I thought that the way that it was phrased might indicate that they didn't, they didn't, they never, they never started it, that they only canceled the procedure mm-hmm. because before they could start, they figured this out. But no, they literally, they literally say, we stopped the procedure, <laughs> implying yeah. that they were in the middle of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. That's so dumb. That never happened. That's not how that works. Kind of, yeah, kind of seems very stupid. It's hard for me to believe that she, I, you know, miracles happen. People get pregnant in ways that don't make sense. Um, So obviously they're just sort of banking on that, that every pregnancy in the show is a miracle essentially. But like, she took a bunch of toxins Mm. to the point that she was in a coma. Mm -hmm. The fact that, and clearly the day, the day that she was raped, right? So now this scene where she goes nuts on Janine and has poisoned them. And all of this makes so much more sense now, right? Because she'd just been raped. Which, to be clear, to remind you, I I was totally happy with that scene, as it was. Yes. Without the knowledge (laughs) that she had just been raped, I was on board. I was like, this is one of the better things that they've done. Yes. Um, But but I guess what I mean is like, um, now it makes even more sense. It recontextualizes it, yeah. Yeah. So like the fact that she... Like, that that egg got fertilized, that it had embedded itself, is sort of absurd. It's it's really out there. Um, and, and further, you know, we'll see what happens. But, like, clearly they're going to make her stay pregnant. But, like, I really wonder how viable this pregnancy is going to be. <laughs> yeah. So Lydia learns this, not only that she's pregnant. But that she says she was raped. Yeah. Lydia believes her for some reason. I guess because Lydia is having a change of heart. Yeah. And so we have to see Lydia report it to Lawrence. Mm -hmm. I guess because they have some kind of a special relationship. I don't think of Lawrence as being particularly in charge. He's just one of the guys. Yeah, I don't think there is a person in charge, but he definitely seems to be on some sort of board. But uh, Lydia has some kind of special relationship with Lawrence that means that he is the person that she would go to with this information. Mm -hmm. They have a conversation which I do find interesting, but also they've basically already had this same conversation. Yeah. Where Lydia is appalled by something and Lawrence is there to say, uh, you know, this is uh, this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, so what we what we don't explicitly see, but which is implied um, in a way that I think is sufficient. It's not mm-hmm. poorly done. We we have to understand uh, Nick and Lawrence see this as an opportunity to get rid of one of their enemies. 
Yeah, which is like so off screen that I was shocked when it happened. There's, here's the thing. There's a number of things about this episode that I think you have to piece together. And as long as you piece them together, it makes sense what is happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about what I just spoke about, but also I'm talking about how the episode ends with what Serena does. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that it's not poorly done the way that motivations are withheld. Yeah. But I think the audience is given enough information to figure out why people are doing the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, but here's, here's what's strange. Mm -hmm. What's strange is the Putnams are out to eat for breakfast. And where are they eating, Will? Uh, I ostensibly a restaurant. Have we ever seen a restaurant in Gilead before? I wanted to bring this up to you. I don't know if this is something that bothered you. It sort of bothered me because I sort of thought like, if this place exists, I guess maybe it's like a fancy mess hall. Like in, a, like an officer's club or something? In, like in, a, a, club. Building, in a building where business is done. Uh-huh. Like it's his... It's all the commanders, the the high-ranking commanders, but it's breakfast, isn't it? It's the, like, yeah, he says you interrupted my breakfast, but it feels right. sort of brunchy, yeah. It's, he says you interrupted my breakfast, so they're, they're, they're all out to eat for breakfast instead of eating breakfast in their homes, mm -hmm. including this couple who has a child. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, they have people to raise their child for them to do all that work, but it seems odd that all these couples are not only out to eat, but they're out to eat for breakfast instead yes. of eating breakfast in their homes. And and the Putnams are getting weird looks from everyone. <laughs> and Mrs. Putnam says, why is everyone looking at us? <laughs> and And she also says, what did you do? Yeah, he's because he says, "Well, word must have gotten out." That's right. That uh, that's the part that I was forgetting. He and says, "Word got out," and she says, "About what? What yeah. did you do?" <laughs> yeah. And he says, "Only something that you'll be thanking me for, or yeah. something like that." Which, to me, I guess I'm supposed to understand that not only does she not know about the rape, but she, I guess, doesn't know that she's going to have another child. Yeah, she definitely doesn't. Yeah. So um, then the men in black come in and they pick up Commander Putnam like they're going to arrest him. Mm -hmm. They drag him out and it's a big scene and mm -hmm. everyone's watching. Mm -hmm. His wife and other commanders and other commanders' wives. Mm -hmm. And he's dragged on his knees in front of Lawrence and Nick who tell him... Because there's no other commanders. There's just none that exists. Oh, it oh, can I only see. be those two. Well, it's 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 their plot, right? Yes. They they the, what they are ostensibly doing is punishing a crime. Yes. But what they're really doing is using the crime to their advantage. Yes. Because they have a plan that he's getting in the way of. Mm -hmm. 
And so the two of them are there to dole out justice when they really have their own ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. And they tell him, uh, the other commanders, we met in secret last night and we found you guilty. Of apostasy. Of apostasy, sins of the flesh. Yeah. And uh, they proceed to execute him. Just right in the head. Nick puts a bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. Right there. Mm-hmm. In front of the guy's wife. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other people who are watching. Yep. Did this strike you as odd? Yes. <laughs> yes, of course it did. Okay, so. And then they hang him up, of course. But yes, the whole thing is odd. Well, I mean, the first thing. So, so you know how I was like, they're at brunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, part of the reason that that was so weird to me was because we've never seen anybody in a restaurant before. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, oh, where can they murder this guy publicly, like, as writers, mm-hmm. where literally everyone will see? Yeah. And the answer is a restaurant or a yeah. club where they're having a, a Saturday brunch. Right. And so they had to invent that. Mm-hmm. That's right. They then pull him out, shoot him straight in the head. They haven't shot somebody recently. True. And of course he is on a set of wings or something mm. <laughs> when they show their favorite overhead shot. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, it's like, why are they doing this public murder? I understand that he's literally like, getting him out of the way, but they're usually so secretive about stuff like this. Yeah, that's the part I don't understand. I understand mm. they got rid of their political enemy. I don't understand why they did it this way. Like, it's almost like they are trying to make a point like, hey, you just can't rape whoever. You have to rape the person assigned to you to rape. But like, really, is that the point? Like, it feels like that would be the only point that they could make by doing this publicly. I, but, but again, like, you know, moments before... Lawrence is calling him a bull in the field. Yeah, it's it's as if um it's as if their agenda is not only to get rid of him cuz he's in their way, mm-hmm. but also to send a message to all the other commanders. Yes, exactly. But what message? I I mean, I my headcanon, I guess by default just has to be that they are like boldly, like no subtext, mm-hmm. saying to the other commanders, we, we will kill you if you are against our plan. Mm-hmm. Our plan. Right, because they keep talking about New Bethlehem. For New Bethlehem, whatever that is. Yeah. We're obviously going to find out, but they, we haven't found out yet. Mm-hmm. So presumably that's the right around the corner. Um. I don't have any interesting theories about what that's going to be. And so I don't care to spend any time on speculating about it. I would rather talk about, you know, I'm always looking for gems in the inside the episode behind the scenes extras. Yes. Which there's not much to see. They're only two or three minutes long. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that special in my mind about either of these two Mm -hmm. for episodes five and six. I just wanted to call out, I thought it was pretty funny, this one moment in the Inside the Episode featurette for episode six, Mm -hmm. 
where sort of in the middle of it, Bradley Whitford is the person uh, talking. Oh, does he does he forget how syntax works again? No, no, no. He didn't do that. Bruce Miller did that. Oh, sorry. The show, sorry. the the head honcho guy. Yes. But Bradley Whitford, who plays Commander Lawrence, uh-huh. they, this is not an instance of like, they messed up or I can't explain this. This is an okay. instance of previously when I talked about like, in this inside the episode, I think it's weird that they talk about like, what a fun light set that they have. Yes. This is more like that. Okay. This is more like I don't know why they bothered to to put this in and it's Bradley Whitford saying I'm paraphrasing. Uh-huh. I think what would surprise people most about how a TV show is made is how incredibly fast we have to make it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he goes on to say, and if one scene or even one moment falls short, feels off, or doesn't ring true, then the whole episode could be written off in an audience member's mind. Mm-hmm. And as he's saying this, they intercut him saying that with footage from the episode of this scene where they execute Commander Putnam. (laughs) And I watched that and I heard him say these things and I was just kind of nodding along and going, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bro, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Yeah. I could see how that might happen. I'm kind of seeing an example of it on my screen right now. Just really quick about um, the the aftermath of that um, execution, um, which is that they oh, string wanna... him up. Oh, oh, right, yeah. So the, we get to see him on the wall. Yeah, Lydia is teaching a lesson to the handmaids about how no one is uh, immune from punishment. Even a commander can be up on the wall. He yeah. did bad things. Janine says, I wish I could have seen it. Lydia seems like she might say something and then just lets it slide. Yeah. And then. And then. Oh, go ahead. And then what does she say? Oh, what does she say? She says, all right, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Time for warm milk. Back home for warm milk. Yes, I'm glad you remembered that. I wrote that down, but I forgot to mention it. Which is which is one of those things that I go, I I see that, I hear that, I laugh out loud, uh-huh. and I go, well, clearly, person who wrote that and and Dowd who had to perform it knew that that's funny. Yes, that's intentionally funny. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's intentionally funny. You're also laughing. I'm also laughing thinking, but why? <laughs> why do this intentionally funny thing? Yeah. In this in this moment. I understand why it's funny. Uh-huh. I understand the juxtaposition between the horror and time for warm milk. But what's 
what is the point of ending that scene on a really funny joke? I mean, I guess my only thought here is, I mean, and this is not why why to end it on a funny joke, but I feel like it is sort of trying to indicate that it's business as usual for the handmaids, Mm -hmm. which is to say, like, you know, in this moment, after some, after Lawrence said to Lydia, like, watch your tone, basically. Yeah. That, um, you know, Lydia is back to being a doting aunt, treating these women that she's letting getting raped as children that need to be, you know, shuffled around like hens. Um, that, that is, I think, that is how I read that outside of it being hilarious. What I would like to see is, it seems like it's almost as if what they're, what they're setting up is Lydia thinks that she won. Yes. But presumably, Lydia doesn't know that there was another real reason why this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for her to have this confidence in a lie that she doesn't know is a lie, mm-hmm. to me, seems like that should be a setup for consequences to that. Like, later mm-hmm. down the road, there should be consequences for Lydia thinking that things are a certain way when actually things are are not going her way. Or they yeah. went her way, but not for the reason she thinks. And so Gilead is not the holy place where a sinner would be punished for that reason. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. is that really why this is happening? Are there, is it really a setup for something? Like, is there really a payoff coming in that along those lines? Yeah, I'm so, every time I see what happens with Lydia, I'm like not surprised. And yet I still have no idea what they're going to do with her. Yeah. Um, The other thing that happens after this is we get a scene with our girl, Rosie, who I love. And even Sarah was like, God, show me more Rosie. I'm so interested in Rosie. What's her deal? You're talking about Nick's wife, right? Nick's wife. And she is, like, cross-stitching or something. And he is, like, looking so hot and, like, loungy on the couch at the other end from her. And she's, like, sitting up and, like, being very proper. And she's, like, upset. And she's basically like, hey, man, um, we were kind of on the same page, I thought. um, But you uh, murdered someone publicly. And I don't feel good about that. I feel, like, really bad about that. And he says, I've done this for our child. And then she does the stupidest thing you can do (laughs) and places her hand upon her non-existent tiny little waist. Like Christy Stewart in Twilight (laughs) once did, yes. (laughs) Which I haven't seen, so I couldn't tell you. Hmm. And um, it it, it's like, oh, Rosie's pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which this is, I feel like we don't have time for this conversation, but maybe next week if it's a slower week, uh, (laughs) which maybe it won't be ever again. I do have this larger question, which I feel like I've sort of touched on, but like, I, I I just can't stop thinking about it. Like, who is a handmaid? Who is a wife? Who gets a handmaid? How do they pick the new handmaids now? Like, who gets shuffled into the wives school the plums, as they call them. That's the other thing I want to bring up. They call them the plums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who gets shuffled into the wives' school? Like, who, like are they... Who, who? I don't... Because initially when they had the handmaids, it was very clear who the handmaids were. 
The handmaids were women who were not in power, like the wives, who had been proven to be fertile. Mm -hmm. So they had given birth before. That was a very clear set of expectations. Mm -hmm. And clearly it makes sense for somebody like Esther to be a handmaid because she had been a wife. She's fallen from grace. So they're demoting her to handmaid because she's young enough and hypothetically, and now we do know, still fertile. Um, But yeah, it's like, they even talk in this episode about how Serena tried to get pregnant on her own first before they got a handmaid. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that, again, was never the case in the book, because in the book, Serena and Fred are fucking old. And that's the reason that they can't get pregnant, is because right. they're fucking old. And so, um, I mean, on top of the whatever else, but at this point, that's why they can't get pregnant. And so, yeah, I just have a lot of questions about that. Because, like, who are these handmaids? They're new handmaids. They they may or may not be assigned, but they're not from the old crowd of handmaids that we met initially, except Janine. Mm-hmm. and um. This woman, Rosie, is clearly young enough that she was able to get pregnant pretty easily. Um, and they haven't had a handmaid assigned to them. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I feel like it was almost gauche for them to, I think that's the word, mm-hmm. for, for the commanders and the handmaids, the, they sh- or the commanders and the wives to be having sex with one another at one mm-hmm. point. Because the idea is that the man need to, needed to save up his sperm. That's not how that works. But had to save up his sperm for when the ceremony happened. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't be, like, if you did get pregnant when you had a handmaid, that would be, like, a, probably a controversy, right? Because you would have been, like, fucking your wife when you're only supposed to be fucking the handmaid. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I have to say about those things. Are we going to talk about how the episode ends? Yeah, I did want to talk about that because... <laughs> Oh, actually, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Before we move on to that, I, I, mm-hmm. I re- just remembered while you were talking, I wanted to say before when you brought up this scene between Nick and his wife, mm-hmm. I wanted to say there were two moments in this episode where watching it this morning, Dana said, that person is, is being so weird. The, and uh-huh. the way that this is written and the way that it's being performed are weird. And one of them is this scene where Nick comes home, uh-huh. and he's being he's he's being a, an asshole to his wife, but and he's doing it like very quietly and like he's uh-huh. very tired. He's just playing yes. it like exhausted. Yeah, he's home from the office. It was a long day. And the other scene was the first scene where June and Luke are in the cages, uh-huh. and Luke is freaking out. Yeah, and but June is thriving. Well, June is like. I need, you know, panic wastes energy. I need you to calm down. You know, I've been through this. And the way that he's reacting is like, how many times have you been in this situation? (laughs) She's like, a few times. He's like, a few times. Like, you know, I wasn't there. And she's like, it could be worse. Sometimes the box is smaller. And he goes, that's crazy. (laughs) He goes, this is the way he delivers. He goes, that's crazy crazy that's insane <laughs> and, it's and, like supposed to be the fact it's like supposed to be showing that he's like confronting this sort of trauma and june's done it before and so like he's reacting badly but it's so weird I, it's I, so I, weird no dana hit on something that i i really i agree with i really think that the 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 when it was written it was uh-huh. not written to be performed that way. <laughs> but 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 
the, but the actor was like, this is the only performance I know how to give to these lines. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to do this unless he's saying it this way. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the result of that, the way that it comes out is... This is this is really weird. Why would they do it this way? This is very strange. <laughs> There's one other tiny thing I want to say in terms of race before we get to the way that the episode ends, which is that when they're beating the shit out of Luke. Yeah. She keeps they're like choking him. Mm-hmm. And she says he's not resisting. He's not resisting. And I was like, you should not be doing this. The mm-hmm. Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. Come on. You're not smart enough to do this. Right. Don't show this on TV. <laughs> no, it's 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 very clear what it what it resembles. Yes. And it's not a good way to do what they did. Yes. Because another way of saying what she says, which is he's not resisting, is it would also be accurate. That's technically accurate to say. Mm-hmm. Even more accurate to say would be he's no longer resisting. Yes. Or by now he has stopped resisting. <laughs> yes. Yes. They when they are leaving, they like pull her and Luke apart, and she says, "No, we have to go together." June, you have no. More important. No... More importantly, when he resists, uh-huh. it's not clear what they were going to do. Yes. Because they get hi- they get him to put his hands behind his back. Then he resists, tries to get away, so they beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And then they put him back where he was. Yes. What were they going to do when they had him put his hands behind his back? Yeah, what did they do to June? I can and now that I'm saying it out loud, I can think of an explanation for this. Which is mm-hmm. later when they get separated, it's revealed that they are just going to return him to Canada. Mm-hmm. Nobody else, no, they don't, you know, nobody in Gilead is going to pay for him or whatever. Yeah. So I suppose that what, what, what actually happened is they were going to take him away and put him on a truck to Canada. Mm-hmm. But when he resisted, they beat the shit out of him. And then they put him back instead of taking them where, taking him where they were going to take him. Yeah. Because they've beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and they don't want to give him over to whoever they're going to give him over to in a state of just being beat up. Yes. Yeah. What they do with June is they put some kind of a box they put her hand on some kind of a box they're checking her fingerprints they are checking your fingerprints i know what they're doing but it struck me as i guess i it struck me as i've never seen this thing before this thing might exist but it seems like science fiction because i i've never seen it before i've never seen can I've, i tell you will i've used one of those really Yes. I've seen in plenty of movies, oh, there's a thing on the wall, and to open the door, you have to put your hand up to the thing on the wall. But to have that in portable box form, yeah, I have not seen that. So when I got hired, so this is 2015 at my job, 
one of the things I had to do was get a background check and I had to get um, fingerprinted because of the nature of my job. And so the way that I did that was I went into my job and they had a box that looked just like that. It wasn't Mm. portable where they were holding – like it didn't have – it wasn't like wireless. It was plugged Presumably in. Presumably it runs on batteries. Yes, but it was it was just like, you know, like my microphone that I could pick up or something. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was just on the table. And um it ran my fingerprints in like five minutes. Interesting. Like literally I put my my hand on it. I mean, this was connected to the US government, which doesn't exist anymore in Canada, so who knows what they're running or in the United States. It's Gilead now, so who knows what they're running it against. But yeah, I put my hand on it. They sent it to the federal government. The federal government said, there's no match. She's never been fingerprinted at a federal level. Mm-hmm. And then I, they were like, you passed. You're good. And I got hired. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it seems like science fiction to me, but I can believe that. So let's talk briefly about the ending. So June is ostensibly being brought back to Gilead. Yes. But the people who have her answer to... Mr. Wheeler. Wheeler. I almost said yes. Winslow. It's there's <laughs> there's another couple called Winslow. Yeah. Um in in the history of the show. Uh another W name. No, the Wheelers. And so Mr. Wheeler has told Serena, We have June Osborne in custody. I'm going to send Ezra to kill her mm-hmm. rather than returning her to Gilead. And also, I guess, rather than having any of my own men mm-hmm. who already have her, her which would be so her. easy which to me <laughs> i was like the only way that this makes sense is <clears throat> what i've already said that ezra is like a mike ehrman trout from breaking mm-hmm. bad figure mm-hmm. that he has the skills to not only kill her but to like clean it up to yes. like do it in a way where no one else could do it so that she'll just disappear so okay ezra's the expert We'll send Ezra. Serena says, send me to, let me go with him. I need to see it. I need, Mm -hmm. I need to be able to tell my son I was there. I know she's dead. I saw it with my own eyes. What they don't spell out for us, but what we have to infer Mm -hmm. is that what she is really thinking is, this is my chance to escape. Yes. I'm going to go with Ezra and I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. So it goes according to plan. Ezra and Serena take June off the prisoner transport. Then it's just the three of them. Mm-hmm. Serena says to Ezra, no, not only am I going to watch, but you're going to give me your gun and I'm going to kill her. Mm-hmm. He agrees. Serena uses this opportunity to just make June get on her knees and beg for her life, uh-huh. basically. Uh, and then um, it turns out that Serena, I think, I mean, in my head canon, Serena's not making a decision here. Yes. Like, Serena- in my head canon, she knew she was going to do something. Maybe, maybe the decision she's making is exactly Actually, how to figure no, this I- out, but... All of the, all, everything that I'm saying in this episode, I'm changing my mind about it as I'm saying it. And I'm okay. doing it again here. Yes. My headcanon is Serena thought I can kill June and escape. Yes. What changes her mind is she kind of starts to go into labor. Mm-hmm. 
So her her decision is she was always going to shoot Ezra. Yeah. What 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 was what was up for debate was whether she was going to shoot June. Mm-hmm. And the reason that she doesn't shoot June is that Ezra works for the Wheelers. Mm-hmm. If Ezra can take her back, he will. Mm-hmm. So he ha- so she has to shoot Ezra, and then she can't shoot June because June is the only other living person around, and Serena needs someone's help. And because she knows a, that June has given birth by herself because she has because she has to have uh, uh, her baby. Yes, that's how the episode ends. I, a lot of that I had to infer, but I think it's there. And as I said before, I think they did a not poor job. Yes, of making that make sense, so that you have to kind of read into it a little bit. But Some, you don't have to do so much work that it's uh, hard to believe. Something else that they also make very clear, which I feel like is important, is that she shoots Ezra, but he is wearing a bulletproof vest. And they make it very clear that that bullet does not pierce the bulletproof vest. He's knocked down and incapacitated momentarily, but he will be up and at him shortly. He's presumably winded. And Dana and I did have to have a conversation about... Why she didn't just shoot him in the head. And I said, well, I guess probably a case could be made that Serena would believe that the consequences of killing him Mm -hmm. are potentially much worse than the consequences of leaving him alive, which means there's somebody who knows what she did and they, they, he will go after them i i also kind of just i do understand she could have gone over and shot him in the head again but i sort of believed that she had to make this last minute adjustment um you know however the adjustment was coming of what her plan was which we don't know for certain um and she shot at him he got incapacitated and she accepted that and just moved on um, and that maybe if she had shot him in the head and he would died, she would have also been like, okay, he's incapacitated. Let's move on. If that makes sense. Yeah, I could, I could see that as well. Shooting a gun. I mean, I haven't done it, but I feel like it's hard to be as accurate as one might believe it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for someone like Serena. Yeah, I could totally buy that. So uh, next week, uh, I think that uh, Serena is going to have her baby. And I, uh, I know for a fact, next episode is called No Man's Land. So it's probably going to be in, the, in the, the field. Not only that, but I, belie- I, I believe that that title mm-hmm. um, is, it, it's titled that way because I believe it's going to be sort of something of a pun. Mm-hmm. I believe it's going to be an all June and Serena episode. Mm. Yes. And I did watch the preview and the preview does indicate that there are going to be more flashbacks. Mm. And so I think it's going to be like so, sort of like the equivalent of a bottle episode for June and Serena. but Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> but they don't have all the material to make it a true bottle episode. Yeah. 
And so they have to also cut away to flashbacks <gasps> to fill time. Will, we forgot something essential. What's that? Voiceover. Yes, that's right. Thank you for remembering. Yes. As soon as June is separated from Luke, voiceover returns for the mm-hmm. first time this season. Which makes sense. I will actually say, for as inconsistent as the show is, that felt very consistent to me. It didn't feel necessary at all. No. It didn't feel additive. Uh, It felt distracting. (laughs) But I also thought, well, it makes more sense to do it at this moment than it would be at any other moment when she was with her husband, when she was safe in Canada, etc. As soon as June believes that she's back on this path, should Mm -hmm. we get a voiceover? Yep. And then it gets disrupted, but... (laughs) Kind, Kind of an odd moment. Um, well, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you in two weeks about whatever ridiculousness is to come. Me too. I am excited to uh, see and hear uh, your new microphone, whatever that will be. Yes, we'll figure that out tonight. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Bye, Will. Love you. Love you too. Bye-bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.